welcome to the Brad Worthy Culture Podcast, where leaders share how they've created a company so incredible their employees have to tell their friends about it. And now, here's your host, Jordan Peace. Welcome back to Bragworthy Culture. Today, we're chatting with Apollon CPO, Karishma Patel Buford. Karishma, again, the Chief People Officer for Apollon. If you don't know Apollon, they are a fintech company that powers banks to help middle-income credit challenge consumers gain access to credit. Karishma is responsible for setting up the long-term HR vision, mission, and employee brand that will shape its culture and fuel the next stage of business growth. She is strengthening the company's HR foundation with world-class employee programs and best practices to hire and retain the best talent and empower them to do their best work. And not only this, but Karishma is a mother of two, nearly three, and has just filled me in that she's got maternity leave coming up. So congratulations to you, Karishma, and thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you, Jordan. Thank you for having me. Excited to be here. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I appreciate it. Excited to talk to you about Oploans, about the culture that you've built there. And then, of course, we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about the last 12 months of this crazy world and all that's changed in it and how that's impacted your role, your company, et cetera. So let me take us right to that topic to kick it off. My question is, what, and I know there's been a lot of struggles <laughs> for everybody in this. My question to keep it on the positive side, right. what is the best idea that came out of COVID for you guys? Right? The things we're going through and they necessitate yeah. change, necessitate some creativity. So what's the best thing that you guys have come up with in terms of kind of caring for your people during all this Yeah, so I would focus on two areas there. The first being the role of flexibility in this new world, right? So March of 2020, we were 80% of our workforce was co-located five days a week in the Chicago office. Wow. And overnight that changed, right? We were about to test remote working and the day before our test, we got our first case of COVID in the building. So the test became our reality and it obliterated biases around remote work and being Mm. able to be productive and keep employee engagement up and keep connected in new and innovative ways. And so the idea that, that we were able to obliterate these biases overnight and show that people can work on their own and and have work in a flexible and remote environment. And we can still keep the business running and we can even be more impactful, Mm. right? The collective power of, we were all also on the same playing field. So that helped versus the challenges we'll face down the road, which is people are distributed, right? It's always easy when you have one or the other. The other big thing that's actually very personal for me, because my background is as a clinical psychologist. So I started Mm. and and finished my doctorate in clinical psychology and then moved into the business world later, is that the focus on the whole person Mm. completely changed. Mental health, childcare, bringing in your whole self into your world. The boundaries became fuzzy between work and home. Right. You're working out of your bedroom or your closet or your kid's bedroom and you're trying to make it work. Exactly. Right. So we, so Zoom invented video filters to make it like, that's not the case, but it is the boundaries are fuzzy and like the employer responsibility to think about the whole person 
reached a peak that it never had before that I've never seen in my career. And so mental health on the forefront, I hadn't seen that focus on mental health, that everyday experiencing it since I was a clinician 15 years ago. Mm. Right. And so I think one of our best ideas was a program we rolled out called Project Optimism back last summer, which was all about attending to the whole person, whether it's yoga or meditation or lightning talks or building new communities and business resource groups for people to connect, whether it was a Netflix night, right, trying to translate what was in office and bringing it to life virtually. We partnered with Fringe. Right. That's how the the partnership with Fringe was born is to provide customizable and and personalized services, especially around mental health, individual and couples therapy and talk therapy, text therapy and childcare. So I think that the two best things to really come out of this really challenging 12 plus months is the idea of we can trust our employees and create a flexible environment that works. And that it's, it's time to really start thinking about the whole person and the employer has a big role in that. Absolutely. And this is a question I had not planned, but what you just said about trusting employees, I, I think is enormous, right? There, yeah. There's there's not, it's not only maybe not the right approach, but it's also impossible to micromanage employees in this remote environment. We simply just don't know when right. they get up in the morning, when they start working, when stop, et cetera. And so I guess my question in that is how has that, or will that affect your recruiting and hiring strategy? Does it go into the way that you assess candidates knowing that, right, they're going to be far less managed, if you will, you know, far less seen and heard, the accountability is not there. Does that sort of change the maturity level or maybe the, maybe the character traits that you're seeking out at all? That's such a great question. So I'll answer two sides of it because there's the role of the candidate and the employee, and then there's a the role of the manager and how we're reshaping our expectations for managers in this right. new world. True. So from a candidate and, and employee perspective, I would say what I look for more than anything is growth mindset, right? Mm-hmm. So if you, you think about Carol Dweck and her research on growth and fixed mindset, I always ask, Tell me about the, the biggest mistake you've made. And the more senior the person, I ask about the biggest failure. The depth and quality of that mistake and failure tells me a lot about how vulnerable that person is willing to be, how much they are going to take what they learn and apply it and adapt and grow because it's all about adapting and, and growing and staying agile. I, I think that is really what's is the red thread in terms of what we need from candidates, candidates that can flex, that are willing to learn, that may have a manager that they love or a manager that they struggle with in the beginning and that they're actually able to see it as an opportunity. Because if you have that mindset, then anything is possible. Right. right? Anything is possible. And so that's the person that's going to have a negotiation with their manager on, mm-hmm. hey, I feel micromanaged. I need more autonomy. I need some room to master this. Or I need more direction from you and I'm not getting enough, right? No one likes Mm -hmm. to be micromanaged. And it's certainly not the way to optimize and unlock performance and potential. We know that. There's so much to tell us that. And so how the person relates to situations that are not necessarily ideal, I think, is driven by that person's mindset. Mm -hmm. So the growth mindset is really what what I focus on and, and what we focus on when we're looking for candidates. And then we're completely revamping our manager program. 
right? So we actually partnered with Radical Candor to do a Radical Candor training for all of our leaders early in 2020. And at that time, understandably, the Radical Candor guidance was all tough, constructive feedback should happen in person. (laughs) (laughs) Totally made sense in Q1 of 2020. Of course it did. Stop making sense in Q2 of 2020. Right. And so how do we build situational leaders Mm. that know when to be a little bit more hands-on and directive, when to let go? And how do you stay attuned to that when you don't have that person right in front of you and you're working Your direct report is in San Francisco and you're in Chicago. You have to have some of these tough conversations virtually or via Zoom. So how do we build the manager of the future that I think is really going to be built on Mm. IEQ, again, growth mindset, resilience, a strong social radar, right? Ability to flex to different styles. As a leader, having had many teams over the last 15 years and direct reports, it is not one size fits all. Right. right. So having the ability to flex to your audience in this situation is such a key leadership mm-hmm. skill. So that's how we think about it, mm-hmm. both sides from the candidate and how we're rethinking the role and the capabilities required for successful leaders moving into the future. Awesome. Wow. Very complete. Very, very interesting answer. I did not think about it on the, the manager side. That's really fantastic. Mm-hmm. Let's let's stick in this vein of of hiring, attracting talent, et cetera, because I think in the work from home life that we're entering into, the world has changed. And, and one thing that is notable to me is that from a talent pool standpoint, we don't exactly have a captive audience anymore, right? We don't have people that necessarily are within a 20, 30 mile radius of our office. And therefore, they're more likely to apply to work with us, right? Mm-hmm. If you can work remotely, why work for op loans, right? If it's not about geography. So in that vein, you know, I'd love to hear sort of what that challenge looks like or what you perceive that it looks like that now the applicants are going to be spread out all over the place and it just changes the approach. And then also I'd be remiss to not point out that you guys have been honored on more than one occasion as a top place to work in Chicago, but also on a national scale. How has that as you give your answer, how has that impacted your recruiting efforts and just sort of the attractiveness of your employee brand? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I think this, before Uploans, I only worked for global companies, right? Okay. I was at BAE Systems, a defense company based in the UK. I own talent management for the US subsidiary, which, which was 30,000 employees. Then I was at Groupon for a few years, right? So global, again, Six, seven thousand employees, fifteen countries. This is the smallest company, right? That I've that I've worked with. It's been an amazing ride for different reasons, right? And right. Different experiences. But I'm used to being able to hire anywhere mm. because what what an amazing opportunity to not be limited to one city where you have to bring people here who don't want to who don't want to come to Chicago because the winters or their family, right? right is yeah. not here, and so. I think this is such an amazing opportunity now because we weren't hiring outside of Chicago before this. We made a strategic decision that if we want to maintain the competitive advantage that we think we've had through our talent, we now have to open it up, Right. right? At least starting with domestically, and then ultimately internationally. We have to, because the best talented is not within that, to your point, 
30 mile radius. Right. And since we've done that, I think we've been able to unlock the candidate pipeline for some critical roles, like in technology, mm. where it's hyper competitive, right. right? Developers and engineers tend to walk into your interview with five other offers. Yeah. The more that we can be HQ agnostic and city agnostic in our approach mm. to recruiting, the more opportunity I think we have to hire the best talent, no matter how we grow and what that looks like. It's yeah. already paid off for us. Mm. I've hired in the last few months, multiple team members in Atlanta and Dallas, right? For the first time, yeah. the few years that I've been here. And I will tell you to your point around competition, because people are, are, are leaving San Francisco and New York, right? They're, they're knowing, they're, they now know that their companies are okay with them not being at headquarters. Of course, it's much more competitive. Right. And so you have to stand out even more as an employer brand. And I will tell you, we are not as known as some of these other tech, even in Chicago, right? We have an opportunity to really strengthen our employer brand. And we've been doing that, whether it's through our LinkedIn or other social media, Glassdoor partnership. We have been doing quite a bit of that, both on the business and the people side. And I think, you know, you said it earlier that our employees are key in terms of being the champions and the ambassadors. Right. The more they talk about app loans, the more where our brand is going to scale. Right. So we want to create champions, right? We, we call them optimists yeah. uh, and op loans, and that's surprising, right? Yeah. And so we want to ambassadors and champions. And I will tell you, like, that starts from the inside out, right? Like, right. if you think about employer brand from the inside out, people who feel inspired will become ambassadors. You don't need to ask them to be, they just become that. And so I think if you ask people to go and be an ambassador and talk about our brand and talk to other candidates and, and broaden their referral network, that's fine. I think people who are promoters will do that. Sure. But if people feel inspired every day, you don't have to ask them to do it. They will just do it. And so one of the things we're focusing on this year, because we've done 18 months of pulse survey now, data that we think that there are three focus areas when we look at high performing companies, what attracts talent, what retains talent is around meaningful work, inspiring leadership and building a supportive and equitable culture. Mm -hmm. And if we really get these three things right, our brand is going to elevate and is going to naturally speak for itself with candidates, with employees, yeah. And so we're really excited to build programs, to build practices around these three areas. And I think the inspiring leadership piece is really key in there when it comes to, to your question, employer brand. Hmm. Yeah. What I love most, I think, about the whole concept of an employer brand is that you can't buy it, right? You can't just run mm -hmm. ads, right? <laughs> You can't just even even getting on these lists, which are fantastic to be honored by these lists, even the list themselves alone, if it's not backed up by your people, right, telling candidates and friends and family and your consumers, et cetera, how great it is to work for you. It, it means nothing. Right. And I love that. It's the most it's the most genuine. You, you can't fake it. You can't buy it. It's just a, that your employer brand is a true reflection of what it's like to work for your company. Yeah. And so the fact that you guys are seeing that success is evidence that there's just genuine inspiration, that there's just people are genuinely enjoying working for you. And you can't beat that. You know, that that's fantastic. That's right. And, and Jared, our CEO, often talks about from a business perspective, don't listen to us, listen to our customers, see what they right. say. And right. 
and reviews. And the analogy is to our employees, right? We want to care for our employees the way we care for our customers. It's one of our key differentiators in terms of our customer service. And so if we are inspiring and taking care of our employees, they're going to speak for themselves. And that's exactly what we want to create. And we think we've, we've created that. And, and this is in some ways just the beginning. And we're going to continue to, to fuel that fire. Yeah. So I'm going to flip the script on you a little bit here. So attracting top talent, that you, we, we all want to do that. And we all think we've got a perfect recruiting process is going to bring all the best people in the, in the door and is going to sort of call out those that aren't the best fit or whatever the case may be. But occasionally, I'd imagine in my organization and yours, there are folks that end up in the organization and whether from the start or eventually become a bit of a, a, a toxic, toxic element right? Whether it's gossip or distrust or cynicism or something, right? When you come across that, when that happens in your organization, what's the reaction? What's the response? And how do you guys, even from a proactive standpoint, look out for those traits or those behaviors that you're just like, ah, this is not, this is going to take our culture down. Right. Uh, I don't, you don't have to tell a story in particular if you don't have one right off the bat, but but what are some of the things that you've seen kind of become a bit poisonous that you, you needed to address? That's a very, very good question. I will go back to this, this idea of mindset, right? It's, mm-hmm. And we talked about the growth side of it, and then there's right. the mindset. And how does that play out? Sometimes at its extreme, it can be toxic for people, but what is a fixed mindset? The fixed mindset person says, everything's a problem, right? You can't fix it. Let's shy away from challenges. I see that person as a threat, right? right? It's focused, overly focused on the problem, never the solution. People who work with and attempt to coach those who have a fixed mindset feel like they can never win. Mm -hmm. It can just never, they can never win. And you get stagnant, right? And then there's a cycle of negativity that starts when people have that mindset. And it's not productive. It's really not productive because you can't get anywhere. And I think actually that's the most... You know, there's obvious toxicity, right, in terms of passive aggressive behavior and conduct issues and all of that. Like, that's not something that you typically see and and maybe you see it in pockets, but that's the obvious stuff, right? Right. Subtle, sort of slower, Mm -hmm. like things that creep up on you in terms of behaviors that have that insidious over time impact. And I think it's around the fixed mindset, right? Mm -hmm. And it's around the negativity. And then think about that person starting to to bring down their peers who might be neutral about a certain topic or the company, but they become, they actually have, you know, people who are what we call detractors have the power to bring those passive and neutral people Mm. onto their, their side and then influence again, the mindset. And I think that that over time can actually lead to quite a bit of toxicity. And I think one of the things that, we, as a value we hold dear is, is saying what you see. And this is part of our, our culture. It's one of our four values. And saying what you see is about being unafraid to speak up, right? Whether it's to your direct report, your peer or the CEO and creating an environment, environment where people can feel like it's safe and their psychological safety to do so. And at the same time, it's one thing to always say what you see and then not have a solution, 
Mm-hmm. Right. And not have a, a, a way to come out of it in a, in a positive light. And I think we've when we face that to your question on what do you do? I think we challenge that. We, we, we talk about we love hearing you say what you see. Tell us what a solution is. What's your recommendation? It's always easy to call out here are all the problems. What's your recommendation? So I think we are doing a good job of becoming a feedback culture. We're not quite there. I don't know if you ever get there. We're on the journey, but like having a two-way exchange and having honest conversations and holding people accountable, but also giving them good quality coaching feedback mm-hmm. instead of just giving up on them. Right. And so we do a lot of that in terms of quality coaching through transparent feedback, a really robust development and performance review process to help mm-hmm. drive that. So that's how I think about, I think about toxicity is more sl- subtle and over time than yeah. the obvious ones that I feel like you can deal with much more head on because sure. it's such obvious behavior. Sure. Yeah. I mean, part of the reason I ask that is I think a lot of the folks that listen to our podcast are at the beginning stages of building a culture, right? Maybe they're, yes. maybe they have 10 employees, maybe they have 50. They're just at a, at a place where the folks that are part of the organization now are going to be the core, right? Not only of the decision-making processes and so forth, but also the core of kind of the culture and yeah. the values and the way things feel, right? Yeah. And so I'd love to hear your advice for younger companies getting started yeah. building the culture. You're, you're at a stage where I'm sure you're, you're always building, but, but there's some maintaining going on and some, you're trying to sweeten that culture as you go, right. right? But if you do really just kind of feel like, I don't know what our culture is. I don't, how do I get that established? What advice would you give? Yes, yes. So I would say, know what you value, mm-hmm. really figure it out and operationalize and define that. And so Jared did this when he came in several years ago is I mentioned, say what you see is, is one of our values, very simple, right? It, it's very clear in terms of what it means, but it's, it's this idea of being courageous mm. and letting the best ideas win. So dropping your ego around that. And another value is dare to win, which is challenging status quo and taking some smart challenges, smart chances to move things forward, hold the door for others. So being respectful and valuing diversity, and finding ways to help others be successful. And then finally, do what you say, which is about ownership and accountability, like own your mistakes, own your stuff. These are four simple values that like have really stood the test of time. Yeah. And so my advice to those companies that are just building the culture is really figure out what do you value? And it can't be 10, 15, 20 right. things. Like that's just a recipe for a lot of chaos. Pick like three to five really important values that are shared by the founders and by the the leadership team that can be modeled or that small. Like if you're a startup of 15, you can get everybody in the room and really talk about what's important. What do we want to prioritize above everything else? But also it's not, it can't just be words that hang on a wall because that happens often words that hang on the wall that aren't part of any other process or program or way you make decisions. Hmm. At the end of the day, when you have to make a tough decision or there's a stalemate, your value should come into play, right? right? right. Especially when you're making people decisions. It's like, okay, let's, let's go back to our values. If we were to live by our values, what would be the decision we'd make here? Right. And so we talk about dare to win a lot, a lot. Like sometimes daring to win means cost and risk and you got to balance and be aware of what that is. And and then you discuss the trade-offs and then you decide, right? Right. But you, you go back on that value. So I'd say define 
what you value, Mm. prioritize what you value. Don't make it a laundry list and then embed it and ingrain it into whether it's how you coach and develop, how you reward and recognize, how you make decisions, how you hire and recruit, right? So we have a behavioral guide. I talked about growth mindset, but all of our values are embedded in all of our behavioral interviewing that we do at hire. So make sure it's in, once you decide what you value embedded and find really strategic and tactical ways Mm. to make it part of your DNA, because if you don't do that, that becomes the fabric of your culture. Even from my, in my world, in the people programs, like that, that determines what we do and not do when we have to prioritize. So that would be my simple advice. I mean, it's, yeah. uh, it's, it's a lot easier said right. yeah. <laughs> than, than d- done, but yeah. that would be my advice for smaller companies on this journey. Yeah, that's fantastic. And you're right. It, it is easier to describe than it is to actually do. One exercise that I was taken through a number of years ago that's really helpful is I was asked to write down like three things that are important to me. And I wrote those things down and I thought that that was the end of the exercise. And they said, <laughs> Now write why that's important. And I wrote that down. And I thought that was the end of the exercise. And they said, now write why that is important to you. Mm -hmm. And if you you ask why is that time, eventually you'll start crying, right? Eventually, (laughs) I'm not kidding. (laughs) You'll get to the core of something deep, deep, deep inside, right? That is just a true north. It's just something that it's, it's just why you get up in the morning and what motivates you. And so- you know, that that's, again, not a, not an easy thing to go through, a vulnerable thing to go through. But for any founders out there or any folks building people teams from scratch, I think that's something to get the leadership to sit down and do and just yeah. find out what's deep inside and, and, yeah. and then make sure that those things align with one another, obviously. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, scary, vulnerable exercise, but I still would recommend. I love those. Those are so fun. <laughs> yeah, I figured you would appreciate that. <laughs> you anyway, should your- ask my team what kind of vulnerability we have to step into on a weekly basis. Oh they have- my gosh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was going to say they're, they're working with a, a doctorate in clinical psychology. Yeah. So they. <laughs> right. Right. Be careful. Yeah. Which is great. <laughs> it's a great thing to bring to the table. I'm, I, I'm sure of that. So on the note of employer brand, to kind of keep going with that, it's something that honestly, it's one of the reasons we started this podcast is that I personally have a deep seated belief that employer brand will matter as much, if not more than consumer brand in the very near future. And that consumers, and I I should be asking you a question instead of saying what I think, but I think consumers, the more that we have Glassdoor and the more that that reputation is out there in the world, they know or will know soon how well we're treating our people. Our employer brand will be on display for our consumers, right? I guess my question is, do you think that consumers care how well you treat your people? Do those things, does your employer brand intersect your business goals Right. And, and how does it intersect your business goals? How does your employer brand either cause your business to thrive or how could it take it down? Yeah, yeah, that's that's a great question. And I will tell you that I think the question on how do consumers and customers think about the employer brand and do they care about how we treat our employees? I think last year changed a lot. Right. We talked about the pandemic 
But when we think about diversity, equity, and inclusion, and where, where we're, whether it's Black Lives Matter, right. right? whether you decided to celebrate Juneteenth as an employer and, and what that meant, I think customers are starting to care a lot. And mm-hmm. I think that they're seeing it as a window into how they'll be treated, mm-hmm. right? And I think a very new, new and refreshing way, because we got feedback from customers on the decisions that we were making in terms of what we were sharing. Mm-hmm. publicly around our stance around diversity, equity, and inclusion sure. with, with racial injustice and, and everything that heartbreaking and devastating that happened in 2020 and, and continues to. And so I think that there is, there's just another level of like mm-hmm. sort of integration that's happening and it's, it's fascinating to see. And it means higher, again, a higher level of responsibility for the employer. Right. And that there's an integrity and authenticity issue too right. there. Right. Like, Consumers, when we talk about our customers, right, and, and Jared is most inspiring when he when he does this talk about how we think about our customers and how we are in our town halls, we play recordings of some of our customers who just talk about the impact that we made sure. on them. And you see this throughout the testimonials. You can go out and, and find thousands of them of how we were able to help this single mom, right, with her car breaks down doesn't have that $1,000 in an emergency and uploads came and, and, and supported, supported her through this, this transition. It's, it's amazing to hear that and the, the impact that we're truly having on the lives of our, our customers. And so that's it. Like that, that's the, the idea that we could provide, that we can share with our employees, whether it's through the mental health support that we've provided or the childcare support, right? Subsidizing childcare. We subsidized 75% of the childcare in partnership with Fringe for us, for our parents out there at, at, at App Loans. And so being able to do that, do we talk about that so directly with our customers? No, there's probably not a forum to do that. Mm-hmm. But I think that if we were to, we have those conversations with our customers who wanted to know what we're doing and how we're treating our employees, there would be so much to say that aligns with how we treat them, mm-hmm. right? And I think that there's something very authentic about that and, and, and maintains the integrity of what we do, how we partner with our consumers and our customers and, and how we treat our employees. So we're really proud of that. And I think yeah. we just, the journey continues, really. The journey continues on making that experience one and, and the same in some ways. Yeah, I, that's that's beautifully said. Yeah, I, I think there's just a there's just more transparency out there now about the experiences that people are having, and yeah. it's not about trying to filter those things out or to keep any bad news quiet or anything. You want a genuine depiction of your company, and I think one of the things that's so important is that that genuine depiction is has flaws in it, has failures right. in it, right? Like some some of the things that you shared before about your your culture. And, and I think that's what's so encouraging to me about this concept of employer brand, again, because yeah. it, it's going to be flawed, right? right? You might be the best place to work in the world, and it will not be perfect, right? Yes. But if it were all yeah. based on some sort of marketing campaign, it could be perfect, right? That's it could perfect. come off as packaged perfect, right? Perfectly. Um, it could be packaged right? perfectly. Right. But that's not that's not reality. Hey, we yeah. have we have lots of opportunities. And, and I will tell you, one of the biggest that's been a transition for me is that we have incredibly unheard of low attrition. 
Okay. We, we were less than 2% last year in 2020, less than 4% regretted attrition, right? Attrition of, of yeah, folks who wouldn't want to lose based on their good performance and, and contribution. That's unheard of. Best places to work. Fortune 100 companies are at 10, 12%. Right. So that says something about people staying yeah. and feeling proud to stay. And so part of it though, as 550 employees now and growing, we're not a startup anymore. We, yeah. we, we're five, right. you know, we're five growth stages past yeah. startup and, and on that next multiple horizon of, of growth. And so we're not what people would traditionally at all call a startup, but some mm-hmm. people still feel that, right? And some people still remember that. And, and that's when they started. And their hard things about growing to the next stage and growing up and growing out sure. uh, of a stage. And so they're growing pains. That's what they are. They're very simple growing pains of what it means to sort of balance innovation and efficiency and scale, right? Because it's like when you're a startup, you have so much autonomy and you can take bigger, bigger risks and do what you want. And innovation is is the game because that's what the business driver is. And then you do have to transition over time to some structure mm-hmm. so that you can be more effective and that you can scale faster and grow ultimately right. for the best of the business, the best cons- for the consumer and the customer and employees. But it's a hard transition, right? And so have we always gotten change management right? Absolutely not. But do we learn from what we got right and what we got wrong? Absolutely. And that's the most important thing that any company can can have as a quality and in your leaders is to not get defensive right. about what you need to change. And that that to your point about sort of the good, the bad, and the ugly. Like if you if you ignore it, if you deny it, if you don't reflect right. on what you did well, and, and we have what we call retrospectives on big programs where we really open it up and look at like, okay, this was right. This wasn't how are we going to imply, apply this insight next time? Because why would you make the same mistake again yeah. when you have power, power to prevent that? And it enables agility. So as long as you are open to learning, you know, you're going to act on it and you're going to do things better next time. Yeah. Of course, there's going to be ugly sides. Yes. It's how you respond to it. Not inherently that things are, didn't go the way that you wanted them or things went wrong. Yes, yes. I mean, we we have got to eradicate this tendency of blame shifting or not of owning up to mistakes and all because because of all this fear that I might be judged or fired or whatever the case may be. Right. And you know, that is so toxic. One of the kind of tenets of our organization, you know, is be flawed, don't front. You know, <laughs> like Love it. You know, like, and to have an expectation that human beings aren't perfect and we know we're not hiring perfect people and to invite those mistakes because they lead to the learning that you would not have had without the mistake. So I I think that's, that's wonderful. So you guys have been surveying for two years, 18 months, I think you said. About 18 months. Yeah, it'll be two years in summer. Yeah. Pretty consistently, yeah, for a while now. So I'm curious, you can look at some of the data and you can say, wow, attrition, that's been fantastic and recruiting's going well and and, and, and the data's telling you. I'm, I'm curious what your people are telling you directly. What's the yes. sentiment data? And, yes. and specifically, what's been the most helpful feedback that you received that either told you, hey, we're on the right track with some things or, oh, wow, I never would have thought of that. What a brilliant thing we should kind of bring into the organization. Yeah, absolutely. So the the big themes, especially over the last 12 months, are around 
caring for our employees. So showing that we care, whether it's through programs or services that we've provided or additional support or flexibility that we care, that we show that. In the pandemic, in the crisis and moving to remote work, one of our highest scores was around leadership communication and, and communicating what we can when we can, right? right? And being as transparent as possible. Um, if we've made mistakes, owning that and, and not being not hiding behind that. So there's a transparency there that I think is really quite appreciated. One of the things that's also gone up is our manager ratings and scores. I would recommend my manager has gone up quite a bit over the last few years wow. based on the support, the training and the coaching that we've provided managers compared to two years ago. And we started that, that baseline. So that's good. And then that's just, it brings us some confidence and optimism that we're headed in the right direction yeah. in terms of the kind of support that we give our managers to develop themselves, especially some of these managers who are really first time mm. managers and, and need some of that additional support. So those are some big positive themes. I think the opportunities and what we've learned is this idea of how important it is to be an inspiring leader and how do we equip people to be really inspiring around explaining the why behind decisions, connecting people's jobs to the mission, right? Around financial inclusion and credit access. And what's your role? If you're not a, if you're not talking to the customer every day, how do you feel connected to that mission in a meaningful Mm. way? Right. And so having leaders who can connect those dots and really connect again, the whole person, right? How can you feel like your values are being realized, your personal individual values are being realized by the work that you do. So that means understanding that 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 individual. So there's a lot of work that we're going to do as we reframe the role of manager and what a successful manager looks like in, in this new normal. Yeah. I think the other big opportunity is change management. I think we do change management better now in the last year since we've had a really powerhouse communications team to partner with, my team in particular, but we still can do better, right? We can definitely continue to do a lot better in terms of bringing people along the way when we make a big change and how we communicate that change. Have we thought of all the, even positive change, right? And so I'll give you a very specific example that's very recent. So we recently rolled out flexible PTO, right? Which essentially is the, the difference between the unlimited and flexible is that we have some parameters around what I think is implicit in an unlimited plan, but is what we made explicit, which is like meet your, meet your deliverables, perform. If you perform, right. you meet your goals, you meet your deliverables, you can take the vacation that you want, right? There's, there's not a cap. So that's the nuance there. Mm-hmm. So we, we actually decided to dare to win and roll it out to all of the company which includes our operations team, which is customer service team. And that's half, almost half the organization as well as our corporate teams. Now, if you look at the data out there, companies don't roll out a flexible PTO program to um, an operations team, just from a workforce management standpoint, right? The nature of the work, how to make sure that you have enough coverage for the customer Mm -hmm. on a day-to-day basis without having to deny a bunch of PTO, Right. So we had to put some parameters there around it, but we wanted to dare to win and try to make it work for everyone. Well, to our surprise, it didn't actually land perfectly well. What we thought was a good intention and a good thing that we were not that we were actually providing people additional PTO. We didn't bring people along in the same Mm. ways that we thought of because we actually hindsight 2020, but there were some real concerns on what it means for my role my ability to make money because it's more than just their base pay, right? It's commission-based too, right. so more time off 
needs an impact for them from a compensation standpoint. And then there was some just clarity of what it means, right? In terms of having rollover days or not having rollover days, just like some nuanced things that could have landed way better if we had done some upfront inclusion and communication. And you actually don't think about that when you think it's really good, right? When you think about Hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna increase your 401k match. Right. You don't actually stop and think. Wait a second, there could be some downstream impact to that, and and that was a big wake up call. It's probably the biggest wake up call that I've had because you you it's obvious when change you know change is gonna land poorly. Like it's a right. change that's really gonna be disruptive in a negative way. It's obvious you have to do change management. Then. Right. But it's not obvious when you think, yeah, this is going to be a win and the leaders are excited yeah. and this is going to be the biggest benefits win we've had and it doesn't turn out that way. Right. Um, so sometimes <laughs> that becomes a blow. But like, again, like you can sit and, and be upset about it or you can just really look in the mirror and decide, okay, mm-hmm. what? And I was the owner here, right? What can I learn? What can I do differently as a leader? How will I do it differently next time? Right. Those are the most important things you can do, right? right. So that's, that's what we did recently. I'm sure it was a lot easier to make sure everybody felt heard when you had 20 or 30 people in the organization, (laughs) but when it's 500 plus, right? big challenge. Yeah. Yeah. So you have to, so it can't, that's a great point, Jordan. So it can't, you got to find ways to get a good cross section of the perspectives Mm-hmm. knowing you might not be able to get to everyone, right? So one of the things we're thinking about is an advisory committee, which is for certain departments and, and for operations in particular is a group of folks who are nominated by their peers to be the voice for them, ah. right? So it's like, you can handpick them as a leader or their peers nominate and say, yeah, I actually want this person to be my voice when yes. changes come. And so if it's a group of 15 to 20 speaking for 300, but they've been nominated by their peers, that's a little bit different, Right. Mm-hmm. When you can't yeah. talk to 500 people. So like these are the strategic decisions you have to make is when you scale. Right. What happens when you're 10,000? Right. It's a different challenge, too. Right. And I've done that as well. It's about getting a good cross section of you recognizing that you have to feel like the decision was inclusive, that it's bringing equity and equity is about it's not equality. Right. It's meeting people where they're at versus right. coming up with a peanut butter approach. We're a one size fits all. So these the this is where change management is some of the biggest leadership challenges I think anybody faces, no matter what department, yeah. no matter what business or industry. Yeah, and especially at scale. Yeah. Yes. Well, speaking of change management and equity and yeah. impossible questions, yeah. I'd love to hear your take. And, and you don't have to obviously have a fully formed, all figured out, but what you guys have thought out so far about what you brought up earlier, where we're, we're moving into, at some point this year, we're moving into this blend of some folks that work in the office five days a week or two or zero right. and trying to bring equity to that situation that no one's really faced before, or at least faced at this kind of scale. What, what are the thoughts that have at least ruminated so far with your leadership team? Right. Thoughts ruminating is exactly where we're at. (laughs) That's a perfect description. A few things there on equity and inclusion. So this idea that I keep talking about around being HQ agnostic, right? Mm -hmm. Something as simple as if you live in Chicago, when we go back to the office that that day we do, let's say I'm, I'm in the office three days a week. I have a direct report who's, who's in the office three days a week. I have a direct report who's going to be in Dallas every day of the the week, unless she's visiting us, right? 
And if equity is, is about making sure as a leader that she feels that she has the same visibility with me, the same career opportunities, the same coaching, the same access, as soon as that starts getting out of whack, right? Mm-hmm. You're losing the opportunity for equity despite right. different playing fields, right? And different levels of initial accessibility. So it's my mm-hmm. job to close that gap. And we need to train managers to do the same thing because things that unconsciously can happen, favoritism, bias, Mm -hmm. you see people more, you're biased towards liking them more to giving them more coaching, giving them more opportunities, giving them more stretch assignments. So part of it is awareness, how Mm -hmm. this bias of distribution and distributed workforce can play out. Right. We're going to do some awareness and, and education on that. And I think in general, career opportunities, some roles traditionally, right? Some roles may have to be, I have, I also own workplace and facilities. The role of the workplace operations is to manage the the physical space that we have. That's Mm -hmm. a role that needs to be in Chicago, right? IT, IT support. You need to have some IT support on the ground where you have IT equipment, right? So there's some specific roles, but there's a narrow group of, of roles that require that. So the other thing around inclusion is Two examples, actually. One is everyday meetings, right? We're setting up this great communication technology, conference rooms. It's one-click connect. You shouldn't have the distractions of bad audio or video. People should feel like they can be in the room with you, right? It's not a telepresence solution yet, but it's it's close in terms of the seamlessness, right? And we know who, I mean, you've been in meetings where the technology doesn't work, and then you can't connect to that person on the other side of the the world, and then it's like it's not a good experience, right? It's not a good employee experience. So we fix all that. That's like basic. And then if there are 10 people in the room in Chicago and two people on video, right? The 10 people in the room have to be really conscious of bringing Mm -hmm. that person's voice in, their perspective, right? Mm -hmm. And and actually overcompensating just because the balance is different. Right. Make sure that all the voices are heard. And I think if we just turn on the switch, and expect people to do that, nobody's going to do that. You have to train people to think about, here's what's going to naturally happen, just Mm -hmm. human being-wise and psychology-wise. Here's what you have to do to counteract that, right? Right. This is going to be part of how we train for inclusion and how we train for equity and make sure that people are aware of the certain, the natural fallbacks, and then they do something to to do otherwise to actually build that. And again, it can't just be, let's see how it goes. We actually have to be proactive and get ahead of that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, just just as a quick example, one of our founders, just one of our founders is remote, about three hours away. And so from the beginning of the company, he was that one guy that was on Zoom and everyone else was in the room, right? And about a month or two into kind of the fully remote situation, I asked him how it was going. He was like, I've never enjoyed this more. Right. Everyone's in the same situation as right. me now. And so my voice is, <laughs> and, you know, and so it just it is one person that is not looking forward to folks going back to the office. And, and to your point, we've got to be really conscious that let's not go back to a situation where he feels like the outsider. We've got to do better than that. Exactly. And that's uh, going to be thoughtful planning. And the other debate that we're having is with onboarding right, is that we've done such a phenomenal job of getting virtual onboarding, right, where our scores, our employee NPS scores for the first six months, for for those who we hired last year went to 100. So their experience significantly improved with what we did virtually. 
And even wow. while we're doing that, as part of that in parallel onboarding techniques and practices improved, right? So there's a little bit of a confounding variable there, but it, to, I mean, that's pretty amazing, right? That the yeah. onboarding virtually, never having met your manager or been into the app loans office, you can have that great of an onboarding experience the, the first few months of your experience. However, we know that there will be a time when people will want to meet their managers that they never met before they accepted the job and right. see our office. Our office is an amazing location in downtown Chicago. They'll want to do that. If they don't live in Chicago, we'll fly them in to do that. And so what happens when right now our onboarding lead lives in Chicago, but what, what, ha- like, what's, we, we, we toyed with the idea of maybe we continue to make everything virtual and, right. and keep it that way. My challenge is we have to lead with the customer, right? So if the customer being the employee wants to come in the first week, we don't tell them, no, we can't say, actually, we want to keep onboarding virtual to create, to ensure equity, which is a good intent. Right. If I was living in New York and I took this job, yeah, I'd want to meet Jared my first week, right? I'd want to stay in my first few weeks and spend in Chicago. Somebody else might say, actually, let's just do onboarding virtually. And then in a month, I'll come once I've integrated with the team and I'll come for a collaboration. That's Mm -hmm. fine too. But this is where we're going to have to be nimble and lead with what our customer and maybe that, that employee and manager have decided what they want and we're going to be distributed. So then how does that impact where our onboarding lead should be? Right. Mm. Should they be in Chicago? Do they need to be in Chicago? Like these are the dynamics that we're thinking through in some of the decisions we're making about when we do stagger back into the office and, and yeah. integrate. These are the dis- and there's no playbook. I think you alluded to this earlier. There's no uh. playbook. We're <laughs> writing the playbook as we go. Yep. And we'll learn some things will work out well and some things will not. And we will we will learn and we will iterate. That's right. I think startups will thrive because Startups have been writing the playbook while they're they're playing the game from the beginning, right? That, right, that's everything. In the startup, right. So that, I just wanted to point out too for listeners that didn't catch that, Karishma referring to her employees as the customer, yeah. and I think that is in a piece of evidence as to the success of the culture you guys have built. That mentality is really yeah. huge. We are a bit out of time at yeah. this point. We've. Had a, I had a lot of fun. Time flew on us. But thank you so much, Karishma, for being here, for sharing your insights, sharing the culture at Oploans. And I'd love to follow up with you at some point as we kind of get through this integration back into the office and remote and sort yeah. of do a little bit of a, hey, how did that go sort of interview with you down the road? But, but thank you so much for coming on this first time and really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. The, the Fringe partnership has been so amazing. You have uh, helped get DoorDash and Hulu and Netflix in the fingertips of our employees. And it's been an awesome partnership and you all have been amazing. So my pleasure and thank you for having me. Absolutely. Thanks so much. All right. This has been Ragworthy Culture and our guest Karishma Patel Buford from Oploans. Uh, we'll see you next time on Ragworthy Culture. Thanks.